Let's take a moment to pray now. Lord, we do thank you for this nation and for all those who have given their lives to serve, some of them giving up their lives in order to provide the freedom that we enjoy every day. We pray for those who are right now serving here and on foreign soil, risking their lives. We pray for their families. We pray for those today who are remembering their loved ones who have given their lives and how difficult it is to lose someone that you love and yet knowing that it's for a purpose, knowing that it's for a higher calling. And we are reminded of you who sent your son to die for us. You know what it feels like. But you gave Jesus to die for us so that we could be free, so that you could set us free. So, Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice and for all those who have followed in your footsteps by being willing to make sacrifices for freedom and justice. And So, Lord, we pray that over this weekend and during this time that we would remember in an appropriate way those who have served us, those who have given much for us. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's, uh, Roger, by the way, will be, he'll go out to the junior high kids and share with them a little bit, and then he'll go back to the kids in children's ministry and share with them. And after the service, he has a little table set up in the foyer, and I'd encourage you to stop by there. And if you have any questions, he has some materials and things there that you could, I'm sure you'd enjoy looking at. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we continue our study through this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, as during this chapter we've been talking about death and resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and what that means for us. You know, I'm always fascinated by makeovers, and I'm sure we all are. I love to see an old car that's been fixed up every year down at the pier. They have all the old woodies that are restored just beautifully and other cars and motorcycles that are old that are restored. I love to see a house that's been made over and fixed up, see the before and after pictures. There's a real feeling of accomplishment when that happens. And even people who go through a makeover and you can't believe it's the same person. But the one makeover that I can't wait for is when God finally gets his hands on my body and does something with it. I'm looking forward to the day when finally all of the limitations of this physical body are are gone. And finally, my physical body is able to do what it was designed to do. Every day as we creak and groan, we are reminded of what these bodies aren't right now. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the makeover that God's going to do on our bodies. The future that we have in store for us, and and it's a great and glorious truth. Now, today, even as in those days, there were people who scoffed at the idea of resurrection. There were people there in Corinth who were saying, 
Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Well, Paul had kind of addressed that and made it pretty obvious. You'd have to be foolish to deny that Jesus rose from the dead. Too many people saw him. Too many people laid their lives on the line because of their, their knowledge and awareness of his resurrection. So they would also say, yeah, maybe Jesus rose from the dead. I could see it happen. His body was still there. But come on, after people are buried and their bodies deteriorate and go back from dust to dust, and you can't possibly believe that God could put that body back together and reassemble it. There's a point where you just have to say totaled across it. That can't be restored. And Paul addresses people who would suggest such things and who would say those things and who would think that the notion of a resurrection of a body would be ridiculous. And beginning in verse 35, he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? He said there are people who are just saying, that's just ridiculous. How in the world could that happen? And what kind of body could be put together out of all those damaged parts? And he addresses maybe a particular person there in Corinth who he was talking about and says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Now he first uses an illustration from nature. He says, what you sow, that is a seed that's planted in the ground, you don't sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, and God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So he says, you're acting like this is completely unprecedented. The fact that your body could go in the ground and die and deteriorate and yet it could come back. You're acting like, oh, come on. He said, come on, you see that happening all the time, and you don't think anything of it. You take a seed. You look at that seed. It has a body. Somewhere within that body is a genetic plan, but it will never be fulfilled unless that seed is put in the ground and dies and deteriorates, and then germinates into what it was designed to be in the first place. And you see that happening with a seed or with a bulb, and you don't think anything of it at all. You just go, well, of course. Not knowing all the mechanics of the whole thing, and today we know more of the mechanics of it than they certainly would have in those days, but a seed, just like a body, why is it so hard to believe that if a seed can be planted and die, and then grow forth into a beautiful flower, why is it so hard to believe that the same thing could happen with us? Because as much as a seed is different than a person, a person's much more complex. But if the genetics of a seed can be preserved long enough to go, grow into a flower, why can't the genetics of a person be preserved long enough to grow into what that person is really supposed to be like. So he uses this example. He could have chosen the example of a caterpillar. Why is it that you see a caterpillar, a little fuzzy bug with a bunch of feet, and, and it, it curls up and dies and spins that protective covering around, and it's dead? 
You watch it for a while, it's dead, but then all of a sudden it starts to move, and, and as the chrysalis is broken open and the butterfly's wings come out and it flies away, and you go, wait a minute, that was a dead caterpillar and it turned into a living butterfly. How could that be? Well, you can explain it scientifically, but you don't think twice. But he's saying, why are you acting like this is so unprecedented? that a body could die, and that from that body could come another form of that body that looks totally different, but that's related genetically to it and comes forward. So he says, I'm not suggesting something that's just preposterous. The resurrection is something that nature gives you plenty of examples of this exact phenomenon that's happening. And then he goes on to say in verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. In other words, he says, you know, everyone, every living being is sort of composed of the same basic chemical elements. And yet look at what different expressions and combinations of those elements can form. Each creature demonstrating in itself certain capacities and certain abilities appropriate to certain kinds of behavior and certain environments. They're so different, yet they're all kind of made up of similar chemical materials and makeup. So he's saying, look, if you look around you, you see lots of different kinds of bodies. So why would it be so preposterous to suggest that there's another type of body that you haven't seen yet that will be prepared to work appropriately in a heavenly environment. You see examples of it all around you. Then he goes on in verse 40 and 41, and he talks about the, um, the, being, the, the created bodies out in outer space. Now, there are some people who would take verse 40 there are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies or heavenly bodies and earthly bodies and, and say, now he's talking about the two bodies. We have an earthly body now and we'll have a heavenly body then. Commentators are kind of divided on it, but I think he's just talking about the, the objects in space. Fits better with the context. He's going to get to our heavenly bodies, if you like to call them that, later. But I think what he's talking about is Look, there are things here on earth and there are things out in outer space. There are differences between them. And then he says, uh, you know, there's the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So he's saying there are different kinds of bodies that exist here on the earth. But then there are bodies that exist on the earth and there are objects that exist in space that are quite different. And then when you look at all those objects in space, the sun and the moon, the stars, planets, comets, all these other objects that are out there, they're all different. And they all have some purpose, they all have some, a, a, a sort of beauty of their own, functioning of their own. So what he's doing is he's saying, look, when you look at creation, when you look at this world, you realize, wow, there are lots of different types of, of creatures. There are lots of different types of objects 
all designed by God, all with particular purposes. So open your eyes to the possibility that perhaps there's a way that God is going to do something with our bodies someday that make them work and fit and to be more appropriate to an environment if we are transported into a different environment or if our environment is translated into a different form. You, if you go into outer space, you better wear a space suit. You just can't go out there with these bodies because these bodies are to function here on this earth. They function okay here on the earth. They wouldn't work in space. If you're going to space, you need something else. And so here he gives all of these um, illustrations from nature, and now he really gets down to where he's making the application in verse 42. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. He said, keep all of those varieties and functions and transformations and metamorphosis, keep all of that in mind because there's a principle here, a seed that dies and blossoms forth and all. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the resurrection of the dead. And now he goes through contrasts where he says, here's what your body's like when you bury it. And here's what your body's going to be like when God does the makeover. It's going to be different than it is now. You will still be you. You will still have a body. It's not that you turn from something physical into something spiritual, as we will see later. But your body is going to transform. And it's a much improved model. It's going to be fixed to work, really, the way that it was originally designed to work. Originally, our bodies were designed as amazing things with all sorts of capacities. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And, and yet, because of sin, because man fell, something was genetically damaged within our makeup. Our bodies were originally designed to live forever. The cells can replicate themselves. There's no physical reason why our bodies need to wear out. We should be able to live forever. But when sin happened, the Bible teaches, there was genetic damage that took place. And as a result, we have inherited a deteriorative sort of influence on our bodies. And so now he's saying, here's a contrast between what your body's like when you bury it and what your body's going to be like in heaven. So here's a kind of something to look forward to, a sad reminder of what our bodies are now and what they are becoming as we get closer to death, but a beautiful promise of what our bodies will one day be in glory if we've been born again of Jesus Christ. So he says, first of all, in verse 42, the body is sown in corruption. The word corruption just means decay. What he's saying is our body and the forms that they are now, they are wearing out. Now, depending on your age, I don't have to labor this point very long with some of us. Because our bodies do. It's just amazing how they can't do what they used to do. And there's just something in these bodies that's wearing down and wearing out. Our capacities become less. Man, I, I was thinking of this this morning when I was playing with the three little Kim boys. And 
so much energy these guys have. And they do things in five minutes that if I did the same thing to the same scale that they are doing it, if I took as many steps as they do, I'd be in the hospital for a week. But they managed to do that for 18 hours a day, just buzzing around, moving so much. And I look at those little guys and I go, someday you're going to be like us if the Lord tarries. The bodies will ultimately wear out and deteriorate. And it's kind of a sad reminder, but you know, we don't need much of a reminder. Just look in the mirror and look at pictures of yourself when you were younger. It's just wearing out. And you can do all that you can do to try to minimize the damage. And you can purchase certain, you know, things that might conceal it. But ultimately, the truth is, you're deteriorating. And he says, the body that you plant will finally be deteriorated. It finally wore out. But it's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. The body that is transformed for us when we go to be with the Lord, that's a body that that genetic damage that causes our bodies to wear out, that introduced entropy or that tendency for things to come unraveled, for things to become disheveled, that tendency will be genetically reversed and Our bodies won't be deteriorating anymore. In fact, there won't be anything that you can do in heaven with your body that will hurt it or damage it. There's nothing that you can do that will corrupt it. It will no longer have that capacity for aging and corruption. I'm I'm in. (laughs) But he goes on to say also, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That word for dishonor is a word that refers, the, the root word um, teme is a word that referred to valuing or putting a price tag on something. It's taking something and looking at it and assessing it in terms of what its value is. But they take that word and they put a negative prefix on it. And basically what the word that's translated here for dishonor is a word that means just devalued or valued at nothing or worthless. That the body, by the time it's buried, it's just not worth much. may have been worth something at some point. But, you know, really, this life is kind of a process of devaluation in some ways. You are, just like when you buy a car, And it'll probably never end up being worth what it was worth when you bought it. They just tend to depreciate. And our bodies do the same thing. Now, you might say, well, I don't know. I wish I had a 1954 Corvette, and I wish I could pay the sticker price originally on it. Well, yeah, if it's been restored. Not if it's been sitting there. not having something done to it. So resurrection reverses that. But all of us, you know, the pain of life to some degree is a pain of having people put a value on you that's deteriorating. And nothing hurts more than for someone to treat you in a way that makes you feel cheap, that makes you feel worthless. It's really nice when people do things to you that make you feel more valuable. 
But the truth is, when this life gets through with us, after we've gone through everything that we're going to go through in this life, we're all going to feel pretty cheap at the end. You go through your ups and downs, but life has a way of wearing you down. And people have a way of treating you in a way that you just feel like you're not appreciated, that you're not valued, that no one cares. Now, there is one who does value you. And he values you so much that he sent his son to die for you. God, ever since he dreamed you up, from the beginning, before you were ever born, he looked at you and said, you're worth so much to me that I would let my son die so that you could live. In fact, the worst person in this world, if they were the only person alive, God would have loved them enough and valued them enough to want to salvage them, to restore them, to make them over, to make them new. It's why Jesus died for them. But in this world, sorry, he's the only one that's going to really appreciate your value in this life. So we sometimes need to accept that. It's a sad reality, but the truth is everyone else values themselves generally more than they value you. And that's life, and that's bodies. They, they not only deteriorate, they depreciate. But, he says, when it's sown in dishonor, and when it's sown fully depreciated, it will be raised in glory. That word for glory is a word that means to lift up and celebrate. It's like, it's like the winner of American Idol. When people are just, oh, you know, and yo, for a second, it's like, oh, I want a David Archuleta. But no, you know, it's David Cook's day. He won. Woo, you know. And that's probably his best day ever in this life. You know, the rest of his life, people are going to be going, oh, yeah, didn't you used to be somebody? Didn't you win American Idol back in the day? Or, you know, but it's that celebration sort of honor. And he's saying, when your body's made over, people are going to hoot and holler for you like you're the American Idol. People are going to celebrate you. They're going to lift you up on a pedestal. Now, secretly, I think for all of us, we want that kind of value. We want to be appreciated that way. And, and one reason why life hurts so much is that usually you're not going to be celebrated. And even though you may accomplish certain things that, that garner some applause, the truth is there are a lot of people who are going to hate you because of that. And they will resent your beauty. They'll resent your talent. They'll resent your brains. They'll resent your wealth. They'll, whatever it is that you accomplish in this life, people are going to hate you for it. And when it's all said and done, none of that is going to mean anything when your life is over. Only what's done for eternity is going to last. But we shouldn't be too tripped out about the fact that nobody's celebrating us now because the day of celebration and honor is going to come. And your body and mine, if we've accepted Jesus Christ, will experience such a celebration and such appreciation and such adulation that the fact that nobody valued us down here back in the day, it's really not going to seem like a big deal. In fact, it's probably going to make it seem that much greater when we are honored. 
you know, everyone appreciates a before and after story. Everyone appreciates the fact that somebody came from humble beginnings and then look at what they accomplished. For an American idol, some would argue one won because he had had a tougher go of it. The other kid already was on Star Search, and he's still young, and he can still do a lot. You know, so it's like, oh, but the guy that was poor and you know, homeless and, and working as a bartender and whatever, he deserves it. Well, guess what? We're all a before and after story because this life hurts. And these bodies deteriorate, and we will all experience our share of disgrace and devaluing. That's life. But you know what? Resurrection says that will be planted, and a transformation will take place where I will wake up to glory, where I will be in a body that's just as me as this body is, but without the dishonor, enjoying all the glory and so he says it's, it's uh, sown in dishonor or cheapness. It's raised in glory and celebration. It's sown in weakness. The word there means to be sickly. And it's raised in power. Life would be great if you never got sick. You see some people who seem like they're sick all the time. Some people get old before their time. But I don't care how healthy you are, if you live long enough, you're going to get to a point where you feel sickly. You just feel like everything's going wrong. I don't want to go to the doctor because it'll be something else. I don't want to, once I get to the point where I'm taking more pills than I can take in one swallow, I'm like, oh, this is too much. But sickly, that's, that's why you die. It's actually a good thing. You get sick enough you finally die and they bury you, and it's a relief in a way. But getting there is really rough. Getting there is lousy. It's why I've determined that as my health deteriorates, I'm going to start taking up more exciting hobbies, <laughs> like hang gliding and things like that. I, you know, just, I, they, I don't think they'll accept me in the Marines or anything, so I'll have to find something else to do to endanger myself because I only want to get so sick. But he says, this body, as sick as it gets, as much as it's fallen apart, as much pain as it endures, someday it's going to be planted. But it's going to be raised in power. The Greek word there is dunamis. It's a word that refers to dynamic, it's productive, it's moving, things are happening. Oh man, there are so many times when you feel like you have a desire to be dynamic. You really, my day off is coming, there's so much I'm going to do on my day off. And then it comes and it's like, ah, oh, never mind. <laughs> I think what I really need to do on my day off is catch up on all the stuff that's about to go off TiVo because I haven't watched it yet. You know? <laughs> so all I have, you know, and the bad thing is you get older and you're, even your thumb, it starts hurting to do the remote control and you're like, oh man. But he says, that body that is sick, it's one day going to be powerful. It'll go from weakness to strength and effectiveness. And then finally his summary statement Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. 
Now, a lot of people misunderstand this verse to believe that the body that we have in heaven is going to be of spiritual composition, like you're going to be kind of a ghost, um, a spirit being instead of a physical being. But the language doesn't allow for that at all. In fact, the idea that somehow the physical world is bad and the spirit world is good, and so, oh, I can't wait until I have my spiritual body and I can be the go- a ghost. You know, that's, for one thing, that's not resurrection. Resurrection means your body is changed and transformed. For another thing, that's heresy theologically. It's what is called Gnosticism, something that became popular in the second and third century. The idea that somehow, and it's carried through today by the Christian scientists and others who believe that, well, physical is something that we want to get out of. No, it's a body. He calls it, you know, as he, as he says here, you know, there is a spiritual body and there is a natural body, but they're both bodies. And the word body means it's physical. It's, it's a real body and it's the same body. It's buried and it's raised. So what's this bit about a spiritual body? Well, the word here translated natural is the word, the, the word psyche in the Greek. It refers to our psyche or our psychological part of us, or it's often translated soul. So a good translation instead of natural body would be a soulish body. That's how it starts off. But a spiritual body, the word for spiritual is the word pneuma, and that's referring to the spirit. Now, people don't often understand, and it's difficult to explain the difference between soul and spirit. It's complicated. In fact, people debate over whether people are even trichotomous or dichotomous, two-part or three-part. Some people say, we're just dichotomous. We are physical and, and immaterial. So we're body and soul. And then they might mix spirit in with soul because it's hard to tell the difference. Other people say, we're trichotomous, body, soul, and spirit, three parts. Some people say, well, you're two parts until you become a Christian, then you're trichotomous. All of that is, is not quite right biblically. Here's the, here's the basic deal. The soul is the immaterial part of us. Everyone who is alive has one. The soul, we often call it your mind, your will, your emotions. Okay, You have it, your dog has it. Animals have souls just like people do. Now, that might be a surprise to you, but the Bible says that. Think about it. Your dog can think. You know, your dog can certainly have a will. You know that. And emotions. They can get excited. They can be bummed. You know, just like us. What an animal doesn't have is a spirit. The spirit is the part of you that can connect to God. The spirit is the part of you where God can come and breathe spiritual life into you. Your spirit, though you have it, it's pretty much dead until you give your life to Jesus Christ. And you have a new birth whereby spiritually you are born. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you to live. Now, how do you tell the difference between soul and spirit? It's not easy, believe me. Paul said that the Word of God has the capacity to pierce between 
like he compares it to between your bones and marrow, joints and marrow, but to discern between the soul and the spirit and the thoughts and intents of the heart. What he's saying is the spirit of God through his word can help us to know, is that my soul thinking or is that my spirit? That's why so many people do goofy things and they think it's God. You see, there are these weird revivals going on. There's a big one now down in Florida where doing all kinds of crazy stuff and they really believe that it's God. But what's really going on there is not some horrible, you know, satanic thing necessarily. What's happening a lot of times is people don't know the difference between their own soul and spirit. And so they dream it up, but they think God's saying it. A big task in life is to figure out the difference between your soul and your spirit. Is that me or is it God? Now, what happens when we are born as people and we become alive? We receive a soul. Adam had a soul breathed into him, okay? Now, when we are born again of the spirit, God breathes on us and his Holy Spirit comes inside of us. However, as long as we are in these bodies, these are soulish bodies. And that is, the soul predominates. That's why, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, man, I want to do the right thing, but I just can't do it. It seems like I'm fighting against my body. No, I'm not fighting against my body. I'm fighting against my soul, but my soul's driving. Now, God wants to control us with his Holy Spirit. He wants to take over and move in our lives in a wonderful way, and yet ultimately, that's not going to happen until a transformation happens within our bodies, whereby now we are pneuma bodies, we are spiritual bodies, instead of being soulish bodies, psyche bodies. And so we get the psyche in its place, and we get the spirit in its place, and that's what happens ultimately when we are resurrected. Now, finally, the spirit's driving. Now, finally, our body, we have a body that's put back the way it was originally intended to be, whereby the soul doesn't dominate the spirit. Now, the spirit can fill and control the soul. For us, that happens on a hit-and-miss basis. We're filled with the Spirit, and then we're not. He is there, but he, he isn't predominant. Our bodies are still dragging us down because they're soulish bodies. And so he says, hey, you have a, had a soulish body, but when you bury it, and it's changed. Switches are flipped, and it's going to be that spiritual body, a body that's designed to function in the way that it was supposed to. And now he goes on to just finish it off by saying, and so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. He became a soulish being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus Christ did that for us. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, or the soulish, the psyche, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Again, our ultimate resurrection transformation 
is that things are turned around, and as the Spirit becomes predominant, as now He is ultimately on the throne, the soul is now taking its proper place, its place that was disrupted by the fall. Now, because we get a fresh start genetically, everything is wired the way it's supposed to. It's not deteriorating. It's not sick. It's not devalued in any way. It's ultimately glorified. It's ultimately perfect. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's still you, but fixed up. It's still you, but restored and renewed. And that's resurrection. Now, we're not there yet. And so, it's important for us to understand about ourselves and about each other and expect it right now. We're corrupt. We're falling apart. Don't be surprised that that happens. At the same time, you know, as much as we are in corruption now, we're also devaluing. Our price is going down. Some of us are definitely reaching our expiration date. Don't be surprised. It's the way it is. Weakness and sickness, it's a part of life right now. Soulish? Yeah. I mean, that's the way we are. That's who we are. The only way to ditch that is death. The only way to leave that is to experience resurrection and transformation. So what's the application for us? Let's cut ourselves some slack. Let's show ourselves some grace. And let's show grace to each other. We're all moving, if we're children of God, we're moving toward resurrection. Everything that's wrong right now, everything that bugs you about your friends and your spouse and your kids and yourself, all of what lets you down and disappoints you, it's going to be fixed. It's scheduled for renewal and restoration and resurrection. So, Don't be too focused on polishing the brass on a sinking ship. The restoration is going to happen. So let's not trip out trying to make this the best we can do. At the same time, yeah, we should do our best. We should work hard and be disciplined and ask God to work in our lives. I want more of heaven in my life right now. But as soon as I start thinking that that's the way it's going to be, I'm just setting myself up for disappointment and failure. I believe that it's really important for us to come to terms with the fact that as I look in the mirror, I'm weak, I'm deteriorating, I'm so soulish. That's the way I am. Deal with it. Accept it. Accept it in each other. But also, let's look at ourselves and each other with the eyes of resurrection. You know, I know I'm not a gorgeous flower. I'm an ugly bulb or a seed. (laughs) But if you could only see my genetics as God intends them, you'd know what I'm going to be like. God sees me that way now. He looks at me and sees his design. He looks at me and sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, transformed by resurrection. He doesn't look at me and go, oh boy, what a mess. (laughs) Because he can see past death. He's outside of time. And that's why he can see me in a way that he would choose someone like me and love someone like me. 
And we would all be much better off if we could see each other and ourselves in light of resurrection. If we would value the seeds in our lives because we know the flowers that they're going to become. And that's the hope of resurrection. And living in light of that awareness and knowledge will make this life a lot more beautiful and appreciated too. It will cause us to make it because we know that, yeah, this hurts, it's supposed to hurt, but it's not going to hurt forever. Whatever we endure on this earth is just a short time. And then God has a glorious future in store for us. May God help all of us to live our lives and to treat each other and ourselves with an awareness of resurrection reality. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the assurance that you've got it under control, that the restoration process is right on target, that you are assembling everything that you need to do to make us who you always designed us to be. We thank you for that. Help us to have grace toward ourselves and others. Help us to not expect to be anything but deteriorating, knowing what that leads to, glory and beauty. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.